Hi there, I'm Leslie Dolphin, and in the latest Suffolk Many podcast, supported by Kingsfeet, what could be better? It's all about food, or more precisely, the Food Museum in Stowmarket. As you might know, it was previously called the Museum of East Anglian Life, but changed its name last year. So what's different and what does the future hold? My colleague Colin Lowe has been along to find out with Museum Director Jenny Cousins. We're aiming to try and connect people with where their food comes from and the impact of our food choices, past, present and future. So all kind of aspects of it, whether that's environmental, technological, social, industrial. So we're going to go out and have a little wander around. How big is this site? So the site's 84 acres. Um, and if there's one thing that, well, three things that most visitors who come to the museum say, and one of them is, I did not realise how big it was. Yeah. Um, people often come in inappropriate footwear for the size <laughs> of the site and for how much, you know, walking that there is involved. Yeah, I think that is the interesting point, isn't it? Obviously, the way that we, you come to the site is through the car park of a, most people would come through the car park of a supermarket. So I, I guess... They just have no concept of what lies behind that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's absolutely right. It's kind of deceptive because you arrive through the supermarket car park and what you're confronted with is sort of really one building. And people can have a misconception that that is the museum, whereas that is just, you know, one of 40 buildings we've got on site. Um, and really, we're right off of the marketplace. Um, so we're right in the town centre, very walkable, which is quite unusual for a museum with, of this sort of size. Mm. Um, we take up a sort of significant proportion of, of Stowe Market of the town. Mm. So, uh, how did it come about, the museum, to begin with? So we're sitting in a building. This is obviously a core aspect of, that, of the museum. Yeah, so we're sitting in Abbots Hall, um, which is a Queen Anne building, um, 1709. Um, it's a you know, very attractive house. Um, it was probably built on the site of a former house that was here. Um, there are sort of records of the estate going back to more or less like the Doomsday Book. So what we know is that um, there was a sort of manor real estate attached to St Osith's Priory in Essex. Mm. So one of the, um, not it wouldn't have been the kind of estate which you would have found like you know monks at. It's just it would have provided income for the monastery. Um, and um, it was rented out to a sort of series of private tenants after it was passed to the crown, it was sold, and then um, after the dissolution of the monasteries. Mm. So there, the house has been owned by lots of different people. It's not a kind of story of continuity of like one family owning it over generations. What you tended to find was that, um, you know, probably stay in a family for a couple of generations. Um, and we're talking about a kind of gentry house rather than an aristocracy house. Mm. So, you know, it's not... It's not a huge scale, um, but it's very comfortable, um, and it would have been kind of referred to as the big house mm. um, locally in Stone Market. And, um, and you can see it from the marketplace in Stone Market, can't you? So maybe if someone is in that little place where banks were or still are in, in different forms, um, and, and you, you turn with those behind you, you can look through the gates and see Abbots Hall. That's right. I mean, we've got quite a few mature trees on the drive now, sort right. of um, that maybe kind of mask the view a bit more outside of winter. But that relationship between the church, the marketplace, and the big house is more or less a sort of straight line, Absolutely. Um, yeah. and and is still very much like there today. Um, so, I mean, the museum came about. Um, 
basically in the 1950s um, there was a kind of uh, a coalition or a gathering of people who were very interested in the idea of preserving um, what was a changing way of life. So um, post the Second World War, suddenly the kind of um, rush to mechanisation in agriculture um, ramps up apace and what we find is that is there's, for a start, a lot of material culture related to that. So a lot of farmers have, um, you know, loads of horse-drawn um, equipment, which is no longer in use, sort of sitting in the corner of a farmyard, and they have nostalgia towards this, want to preserve this. Um, but more than that, it's about a way of life as well, because, you know, mechanisation dr- drastically reduced the number of people who are required to do agriculture. So from being the sort of thing that most of us would have had some sort of passing familiarity with these days it's fewer than one percent of the population that works directly in agriculture so we just don't have that kind of Mm. community around farming um that was once there um so i think that there was also a desire to try and capture that Mm. um there was also i think specifically a deep love of like the horse-drawn experience people and the skills that were involved in that and a lot of the kind of crafts that that came out of of, um, previous eras Um, so a group of people got together Um, it kind of came from lots of different angles but the Suffolk Local History Council was one of those um, what was then the East Suffolk County Council Um, and um, local farmers people like Jack Carter um, and they um, they started kind of collecting. So the first iteration of the museum doesn't open here. It's like a sort of short-term display, which I think was actually in Beckles, if I remember rightly. Yeah, for a a little while. But they looked for a more permanent home, um, and they found one here, um, not in Abbott's Hall, but in the medieval barn, which we're going to have a look at in a bit. Um, And it was down to the Long Sisters that this this kind of happened. So the Long Sisters were the last private owners of Abbott's Hall, um their father herbert long um had um come here i think he bought the house in about 1903 um and um, they had grown up here and they died here and um ultimately the rest of the the estate became part of the museum Mm. but in the 1960s they started talking about like could this place be the home for that and they began by making available about two acres um and the medieval barn in what was i think a kind of you know very generous and also far-sighted um gesture that i think is really important for stow market today mm-hmm. like the legacy of the choices that they made um really continues to benefit the local community in a really very positive way absolutely so there's the whole whole acreage was that all attached to Abbott's Hall yes I mean but more or less um I would say that the estate sort of fluctuated in size because it was um because it was sold so often right then what we do have is quite a lot of auction records um, and therefore you know some eras it will be 125 acres some eras it will be less than that you know it will it sort of balloons and shrinks depending on what the fortunes and interests of the previous owner was so the bit of the museum lands that exists today is not the full extent of what would have been the abbots hall estate but it is a substantial portion of it um and includes uh former farmland um would have been a hop growing area so market was was big in hops Mm -hmm. um 
and um, there was also some osea beds. Uh, there would have been they had red pole cattle here. They also had um, uh, the Longs um, bred uh, prize winning chickens. Right. So there's actually some um, really lovely sort of certificates around the prizes that they won. I mean, the estate has got a long food producing history. Mm. And if you look at all the stuff that was collected, like I'd say 90 to 95 percent of it is all about food production or processing. Like It's either, you know, it's either stuff like the ransoms equipment mm. um, around um, like uh, industrial agriculture or it's um, things like the water mill that we've got, which obviously plays a very important part in the food story. Mm. But then there's the landscape itself, which tells a story about food production mm. um, and how you maintain an estate like this, which needs to feed the people who live in the house, but also all the ancillary um, staff around that. So mm. we have, for example, still the cook's cottage here, um, which would have been... Um, where the cowmen lived um, as well, and they sold milk out of the back door to people in Stowmarket. So you've got that industry. You've got the wall garden next to the house, which mm. would have sort of supplied it with um, with flowers, fruit, every sort of vegetables. Um, we there, we know that there was an orchard here. It's, we have an orchard today. It's not in the same location that that one was because it wasn't in existence at the point where where we became the museum. Mm. Um, but there's also, you know, there's a story about change over time of an estate of that size. So, I mean, one of the things that we use to illustrate that is we have the fishing lodge at the centre of, sort of three ponds on site. And the three ponds, we are pretty certain, were medieval fishing stews. So sort of once upon a time when the occupants of the house wanted sort of fresh fish, they had a spawning pond. They had the kind of pond where the fish were and then they had an overflow pond. And at some point in the 18th century, they were formalised into a kind of um, like well, formal landscape instead. Mm, and it becomes mm. far more about leisure. And the fishing lodge that sits on the lake was built. And it's much more of a kind of pleasure landscape. Right. But that tells you something about food sources and supply chains and what kind of um, what kind of circumstances the owners were yeah. living in at that People's point as well. People's tastes and needs change yeah. over time. Yeah. So... I think that's one of the things that's quite interesting about this estate because it's not like, you know, as I said, we've got like that continuity story of one family's journey through mm. time, um, which, you know, regardless of how you might feel about that, would perhaps be like a very strong story to tell. Mm. Mm. But we have a house here that has no actual original contents. We have what is a space and we have an estate. Mm. And I think, therefore, it's quite interesting intellectually to treat it as quite emblematic of lots of similar size estates that supported um, a big house but also the whole community of people around that instead. Yeah well we're going to have a, a little look around aren't we mm -hmm. and we'll try and convey through audio <laughs> what we see <laughs> and what we look at so uh, but just before we do that let's just have a little bit about you Jenny let's find out how did how long have you been here and what, what was your background prior to so I've been here uh, nearly seven years now, um, although, you know, with the pandemic in the middle, sometimes that doesn't feel like it's that, does it? difficult to tell time now, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, I grew up in Cumbria in a sheep farming area, um, and after university, I started a career in London in exhibition design. Um, I worked for English Heritage, and then I moved to um, Imperial War Museum, Duxford, where I led the redevelopment of the American Air Museum. Um, which was a big collecting project mm. across the states looking at um, the Second World War, Cold War and, and kind of more modern conflicts. 
And I guess that's when I came to the East um, and I was keen to stay when I finished that. So that is one of the reasons that I've ended up here. Um, but I would also say that um, I actually you know, first got interested in museums when I was about nine and I went to a museum club. Really? Um, and it so happens that the museum club I went to was also in a building called Abbott Hall. No. <laughs> so um, oh. there's only two of two public museums in the country called Abbott's Hall, and I've sort of basically worked in both of them. Go this way. How about that? I was in Cumbria as well. Yeah, yeah. Museum Which is club. part oh, of the Museum of Lakeman Life and Industry. So, okay. you know, I kind of, I've had a long interest in this topic yeah and i would say that despite you know the name change we're not less interested in rural life stories than we were we're you yeah. know as interested as ever and we're very engaged with the history of that yeah. it's much more about accessibility yeah. um, and relevance to people's lives so it's more about the way we talk about objects the name change and um, we have done a lot of kind of redevelopment here and i'll take you through some of that yeah, because we, sure. we have big plans for what we want to do and how we want to develop this exhibit um into something which is you know of a real real pull um but a lot of it is about taking what we have and trying to tell the stories about it in a way that works for today's audiences because obviously the museum was set up um you know over 50 years ago nearly 60 years ago now um, and the people who are today's audiences do not have the same familiarity with that kind of world of horse-powered agriculture that mm. they did at that point in time. Mm. And part of what we're trying to do is to get them to like look at what might appear at first sight like a kind of rusty old plough. I mean, they might not even recognise it as that. Yeah. And to get them to see the importance of that object and what mm. it is that it did Mm. and who was doing it and who they fed and what that meant for society and all of those sort of things and then to draw the parallel to today's farming community and what they're doing which is similar and what they're doing which is different well let's wander around and have a look then that's fantastic What's happening here is we've got a school group getting off the bus to have a session. What session are they having? They are going to do seed to sandwich. So they will um, visit our grow area to see the wheat growing. They go down to our water mill to see how it's turned into flour. And then they will go and make some flatbread and cook it in our wood-fired bread oven. Fantastic. Very good. So they get some real hands-on... Hands-on experience and actually can relate where their food comes from. And actually we talk about... um, how you just go into a shop and buy a loaf of bread without giving any thought to how much time it actually takes to produce it. Absolutely. So, yes. Very so. good. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Anna. Good. Have a good Cheers. day. Thank you. <laughs> so, you're Darren. So, how long have you been here then, Darren? You, you work here? Yes. Uh, I'm now starting my 15th year. Right. I'm a visitor services officer. Right. Um, so, I kind of um, look after the site in terms of visitors. Right. Um, and the last year has been a a bit of an exciting time with our name change um, and uh, you know, it, as time has gone on and uh, visitors have got used to the name change they can see the benefits of how we have kind of gone back to basics to show them how things arrive on their plate yes it's a great way of engaging because everybody's had a habit of eating since birth. Yes. So it doesn't matter what your age is, yeah. you know, we can have a conversation about all kinds of things. So that could be, um, have you any family recipes that have been passed down and you still use and have you passed them down? That could be, um, what's your worst nightmare of school dinners? 
tapioca is at the top at the moment, because it, look, it looked like frog spawn. That's always uh, sal- uh, never bother me. Yeah. Samalina is wallpaper paste. Oh, no, good and, stuff. Yeah. And they, they're always concerned about the meat looked all right, but they never ask questions. Where it came from, yeah. Um, and another thing is, we, we can talk about... Um, we start off with any of our uh, Have A Go Farming sessions, is we always ask everybody uh, in family groups, what do they have for breakfast? Because everything we have for breakfast is brilliantly linked to farming. Yeah. Whether that's the fruit from orchards that makes the jam, whether that's the obvious things like the wheat from the fields that then goes to the mill and then makes the bread, um, to even the the, the clever children who thought at Easter it was funny to say, oh, I I ate my Easter eggs. Yes. Well, of course, cocoa pods come from the Ivory Coast. Yes. Somebody has to nurture them, grow them and turn them into chocolate. Yeah. So, um, on the whole, the change, like all changes, was not always accepted by people, but I think now people are yeah. turning to the state that again, yeah, well, actually, we get it now. Yes. And because it's not just about those things I've just said, it's about um, looking at uh, the bigger questions of farming, what we eat, and how that influences things like climate change. Um, you know, we, we've... We've widened people's perception of just mm. eating stuff off of a plate. Yeah, and yet still retain the focus on East Anglia. Well, you have. I mean, the, the, and, the, and where all this comes from. Indeed. I mean, we, we will always talk about the social history, working history and craft history of East Anglia because you cannot mm. not talk about that in terms of how it we are set up today. Mm. You know, that is at the very heart of everything that you get to see today. So we're here in the farm barn, um, which is a new building more or less in 2020 as the pandemic um, came, came into being. Um, and this space um, includes, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things which is great about this is the massive visual timeline um, that covers a wall which is about 20 metres long mm. and tells and tells his farming in the kind of key changes in agriculture and also sort of charts um, the UK population over time and the rises and falls that there have been and therefore the need to feed more people and how that has been done technologically. But it also looks forward to what might be some options for food production in the future, um, ranging from like precision farming and hydroponic approaches and organic farming. Um, but yeah, so um, we use this space for have-a-go farming demos. We use it for lamb feeding at Easter. We actually press a lot of our own apple juice in this space we run great sessions for that really really recommend it it's like one of my favorite parts of the year um people if they've got like a community orchard or even if they've just got a tree or has got i've got access to some good windfall apples yeah, can bring yeah. them along and get them pressed here um, and get involved in that process of, of making apple juice or cider if you if you prefer um, but I think, you know, one of the things that we're trying to reveal here, as I said, is kind of is grow, make, eat and make is some of the food processes. And that can be massive industrial processes, but it can also be much more kind of cottage and farming and craft industries um, that people might want to kind of adopt themselves. So we've come down towards the bottom of a site here. Have I, am I right in that? It's nearer the bottom? Nearly, yeah. I mean, we're, oh. we're probably about halfway down the site here. Oh, yeah. oh well, there's a lot um, more to go. You know, as I said, it's quite big. Yeah. It goes, if you think of it almost like a giant L, we're right. nearing the bottom of the L right. um, before it turns, but we're still quite a fair way to the bottom. And for those who know the geography, the bottom of the site is... Coombs, Coombs, Coombs Lane. Coombs yeah. Lane. Yep. Yeah, it would yep. be the bottom of the site.
Um, but here we are on the kind of the, the, the foot of the, let's call it a hill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> For Suffolk, that's a hill, isn't it? Let's For Suffolk, that was a hill. Yeah. And um, we're in the orchard that we've planted over a number of years, um, working closely with the Suffolk Traditional Orchards Group um, and Orchards East through UEA, um, who helped us like identify what to plant here um, and to um, graft some of the stuff that we've got here. So it's it's doing really well. Mm. It's lovely. It's really doing great. Um, but we've got a mixture of things here from the nearest thing to us is quince, but we've got mulberries there, Goodness. we've got apples, we've got cherries, pears, cob nuts, um, a real mixture of, of different things. Um, we've picked them based on like their food use. So rather than it being, I mean, some of them are quite you know unique to mm. Suffolk, Norfolk, East Anglia, but quite a few of them might be more recognisable, but they've been picked because they were good croppers, they preserved well, they made good cider, they were good for jam, you know, those, those kind of things. And our labels all talk about how they were food used, Brilliant. which is one of the things that's quite unusual about it. It's not a very horticultural approach. Mm. Um, but we're trying to get people to see this as, as part of that sort of food story. Um, and yeah, it's doing very well. I think it's just beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's a lovely space. And the thing that is just get over about the get oh, I've seen so far, just how quiet the whole place <laughs> is. And as you said, the fact that you can drive to within you know hundred yards or, or less of the front door, or you can get a train and walk up from the station, is is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's it is very peaceful. It's very tranquil. Um, that said, we we've arrived early in the morning before any. <laughs> Um, looking around the museum, so you know you might have a slightly different perspective slightly later on. Fair enough. <laughs> Which is nice. Yeah, yeah, that's all good. So these are some of our um, ex cage tens um, that are rehabilitating here. Oh, you can see they've, they've suffered a little bit, but they are they're on the mend. Um, and I guess one of the reasons that we have these here is to just raise awareness of that. Yeah. Because I think you know obviously there's been big campaigns in the past around battery farming. Um, and generally people will choose free-range eggs, but when you buy your made cake in the supermarket or a food, um, something that's already been processed and have, has eggs in it, you can't always be sure that those no. eggs have come from a free-range source, um, and I think you know people don't necessarily realise that. Yeah. So and actually, um, when you're face-to-face with seeing a hen that has very little plumage... It's not a pretty sight, is it? Yeah, I mean, ex-caged hens are kept on, um, you know, this has been sort of well demonstrated by other people much better than us, but, like, you know, it can be as much space as a piece of A4 paper. Mm. I don't think that's great. No, no. But as you say, um, whilst we might go out and buy free-range eggs per se what we don't think about is all of the other things that contain eggs and where and where that's, where that's coming, coming from, from. Yeah. but this so what we're hearing uh, <laughs> having a little crowing battle here is a suffolk checker bantam um, which is a very kind of local bird. breed yeah. yeah isn't it beautiful yeah sort of that lovely barred plumage is, is very very attractive yeah um, and they're both very pleased with themselves, aren't they? <laughs> Wait till the peacock gets going. <laughs> oh, yeah, they are, yeah. 
Yes, known to be noisy. Yeah, of course. So is that again? That's for, that's unique to Suffolk, or is that sort of? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was one of the last breeds. I think it might have been the last breed to be recognised by the Poultry Club, Club of um, Great Britain. Um, so, I mean, I suppose one of the stories we're trying to tell here with this is how humans shape breeds mm. like how like you know sometimes people look out the window and they think oh that's all natural mm. but actually we've been performing artificial selection through mm. farming for a very long time yeah. um, and this breed really tells that story but it's true of all the other animals just perhaps less obviously but they are all shaped by the choices that people have made in putting them together to breed and what kind of animal they valued whether that was a you know, a comely chicken like this mm. one, which is very attractive, but Absolutely. quite small. You know, you wouldn't love that on your dinner table. No, it's not going um, to... To, you know, a, a breed of cow, which is obviously produces a huge amount of milk or produces a huge amount of meat. Yes. Um, and those choices that are being made. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Peacock's having a go for you. Oh, right. Oh, oh, oh here we go. Himself. Yeah. God, he's breathing quite <laughs> heavily, isn't it? He's either having a go at the chicken or he's, he's trying to attract you. I'm not sure which one. Yeah. Oh, well, look at that. Isn't he great? Yeah. Yeah. We're planning to let him out to be free range soon. Right. Um, he's, he had a bad period last year where he had to be locked down because of the avian flu. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, issues. So, because um, oh. we were in an area where avian flu was detected so we needed to keep our birds shut down yeah sure um but we're hoping he'll free range around the museum and he not really frighten is. visitors too much he really <laughs> Isn't is he stunning absolutely yeah. stunning I mean, so do you have hens as well peahens? Uh, we don't at the moment we very right. much would like a peahen yeah i hope he would <laughs> yeah that's that's the, that's the thing you've got or maybe yeah. she would yes know. that's right but yeah, he's quite a young bird, is and he? he came to us very young, and right. he's he's just you know, getting. I don't know if we wow. hear him just shaking his feathers yeah, there. Yeah, he's, he's he's displaying. Yeah. Beautifully, at a cockerel next door. <laughs> <laughs> I think now. Yeah, well, who doesn't see this? Trying to dig a tunnel. Oh right. <laughs> To go and challenge. Who knows? Yeah, wow, the things that are going on here. Well, I'm here. Turkey, which yeah. is sort of chuffing away. Yes. Proper turkey. Isn't, isn't it? it? Isn't that great? And Norfolk yeah. black. Very attractive. Yeah. Well, maybe it is. Is it attractive? <laughs> <laughs> We've got a little baby chick, turkey chick at the moment, and there is a bit of a kind of. Um, we, one of the questions that was immediately asked by somebody from our marketing team was, when is it they get ugly? <laughs> Which I think is very unfair. <laughs> but just look at him. He, yeah. He's very impressive. Yeah, isn't he just? Mm. Goodness me. Wow, beautiful. Wonderful. Uh, so we're standing on a newly built bridge over Rattleston, um, which I think is about sort of... 13 to 14 kilometres long and about 1, 1.5 of that runs through the museum's right, land. Right. Um, so it's something that we really care about and try and look after as much as we can. And that flows into the gipping, doesn't That's it? That's right, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So from this bridge you can see our community allotments and we've got nearly 50 allotments on site and that building with a tall chimney is a composting toilet. Oh, goodness. Um, and they're thriving, doing really well. Um, and on the other side, you can see um, our, um, one of our Suffolk Punch horses in the field. Um, and in front of him, the um, really quite sort of spectacular wind pump, mm. windmill. Um, it's a sort of smock drainage mill, so it's not for milling 
flower. It's for draining the marshes. It comes from Minsmere. Right. Um, and really it re- reflects like a changing use of priority, if you see what I mean, for landscape. So mm-hmm. at one point the important thing was to drain as much land as possible for grazing. These days we make different choices about the balance between conservation. Mm. And obviously Minsmere today is a bird reserve. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so is that is it one punch that you have one Suffolk punch? We've got a pair of them actually. Right. We have a we've got a mare and we have a gelding. Right. And uh, do you form part of the attempt to try and keep the keep them going? I mean, we're very that's much happening. trying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're not with so the <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, so what can you uh, are you does form part of that so that you? That stallion will come in. At, am I speaking the right language here? Is it a stallion? That come yeah, in? or we take her to a stud. I mean, we're right. very much sort of keen to try and breed. If yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Through another gate. So, um, one of the things we did last year is we re kilometer of path in a loop around the river um, right. just to try and make it really accessible because. You know, as I sort of said before, we're right slap in the bang um, in the middle of um, Stowe Market. We are a kind of green space um, for the community as well. So it's nice to have a really accessible path that people with like an all-terrain wheelchair can use. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just taking you down here partly to show you um, some of our sculpture trail, just one of the first things on it. Um, this is the web of life. So, you know, we have a spider made out of a sieve we've got a kingfisher made out of a mixture of a whisk and a load of um, pieces of cutlery um, I think you know hops made out of spoons a hedgehog down there Amazing. <laughs> but it's a beautiful piece that was made by a local artist and we've got several um, of these all interpreting bits of the river wildlife along the river Yeah, I see a piece of cutlery and they see a Kingfisher, I mean that is just phenomenal, astonishing. So we're just walking back to the entrance mm-hmm. again. I don't know how you keep track of where everything is because <laughs> I seem to have uh, totally lost my bearings here. Yeah, and so we haven't even seen half the museum site today. So, right. You know, I think average dwell time here, visitors usually spend up to well, at least four hours. Really? Yeah, because they arrive and they think we'll be able to nip around in 30 minutes. Mm. And then they realise that it's not really possible. No, no. Which is why we offer a great annual ticket where you can come back. Um, because there's loads to explore and it also changes with the season. And there's some times of the year where it's just so lovely being here. Yeah. Um, we have spectacular daffodils. It's like one of the really things that people don't, you know, that time of year people don't tend to go out so much, but they really should come and see it because yeah. it's lovely. Yeah, brilliant. Right, so you've got some stuff going on here. Yeah, so Anna mentioned that um, they're doing bread workshops being prepared. And if you stand here and look inside, you can see that the bread oven has been lit, yep. ready for, um, for baking some of the flatbread that they're going to be making in there right, later. Fantastic. So this is what Anna was discussing, uh, just talking through with children about where their flowers from. That's and right, yeah. Actually getting their hands 
Not dirty, no. actually clean. Well, but, uh, you know, clean then dirty, then clean yeah. again. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we have um, we've got like a temporary classroom set up here. Um, yeah. We tend to split the groups into two. One will go down and have a look at the process, and then one will do some baking, and then they'll sort of swap over. And the mill will be part of that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So we start in the field. We look at the growing crops. Um, we go to the mill. We look at some of the farm machinery, and we come back here and bake some bread. These buildings are shut at the moment because of the fact that we're decanting our objects at the moment from the collection store in order to replace the building. Right. Um, but what's going on in here? This is a closed area. Um, but this is Lily, who is um, hello our collections trainee, who right. is here with uh, Emily and Georgia, our new volunteers. Oh, cool. Hello. Hi. Do you want to have a quick look? Yes, yeah. of course. Let's do that. We are photographing and documenting the collection in here to um, make space for objects from the large object store, which will be decanting right. um, as part of the restoration of that space. Right. Yeah. Ah, so that's the decanting is moving stuff around. It's a really, really major project. Yeah. yeah. Like it's a, a massive, massive undertaking. I mean, it's quite daunting when you think about it, but we will manage it by the 31st of December, um, one yeah. way or another. Um, but in here you can see you know, what, what's going on is there's a photography studio set up so it's not a case of just packing things up it's also mm -hmm. a case of taking photos of them and those photos get added to the object records um, we've been digitising the collection over the last sort of it's taken us about seven years because when we started everything was on a card catalogue mm. and obviously in this day and age we do need to be able to access it in other ways and yeah. it means that people around the world can have access to our collection. Right. So taking the photos which Lily's doing mm. um, with her mm. volunteer team, Goodness. hello volunteer team here today, hello. Yeah. Um, is going to make that much much more accessible to people. Mm -hmm. So every object that I see over there you are basically... Taking yeah, photo. taking photos of, so we have um, the stage of the process where we uh, measure the object and clean it and then that information gets put on its online record and then we photograph it and then it gets labelled so it's kind of fully traceable and fully as, as documented as possible really. So um, we know where it is, what it looks like and what condition it's in, uh, if it needs to be moved again or something like yeah. that. So, um, yeah, so last of all, here we are in the cafe, which has an amazingly delicious looking range of cakes today, doesn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, that does yeah. look quite incredible. I'm quite hungry now. Yeah, um, it's not a good time of the day <laughs> for me to come. <laughs> but it's also dominated by our um, massive uh, Suffolk Puff caterpillar yes. being suspended from the ceiling. So it was, it was a project that was made 50th anniversary um, and um, all of these like little um, Suffolk puffs or yo-yos depending on um, where you come from and um, they're like little round circles of fabric that have been sort of slightly stuffed um, and they've all been attached together to make a very, very long caterpillar um, and it won a Guinness World Record for its length. And this is where it has come to rest. Very it's good. It's rather pretty. Yeah, it certainly is. And as you say, it's great from a sound perspective too, isn't it? It works really well. <laughs> yeah, very good. Lovely. Yeah. Jenny, thank you so much for showing me around. First of all, I've used up lots of your time, but I do get the impression that we've only scratched the surface. We haven't even been in half the buildings. Right. And... Um, 
we also have some really cool plans. Like, I think it's going to evolve a lot over the next few years. It's already evolved a lot over the last five years. I mean, I know you mentioned when you arrived that you'd kind of come here as a child and yeah, not since. That was and a long time ago. I've obviously told yeah. you off for that because yeah. <laughs> it's very important to support your local heritage and cultural assets yeah, if you want absolutely. them to survive. Yes. Um, so, you know, I'd really encourage people to come and take a look at what we're doing and come back to be part of it in some way, either as a supporter, a member, a volunteer. Yeah, there's so many things you can do. And I, I do think the thing with Stowe Market is it is right in the middle of East Anglia, isn't it? Mm. I'm sure if you drew a line from sort of the top to the bottom and east to west, you'd, yeah. you'd finish somewhere in Stowe Market. Part of Suffolk, absolutely. The Google pin for the centre of Suffolk falls in the museum land. Does it really? Yes. Wow. <laughs> So, yeah, definitely a place that if someone hasn't been to for a long time, they need to come back and see what you've done. Maybe if they've got additional time that they could spend, there'll be something here that you can use them. Absolutely. Use that time for, yeah. can't you? So, yeah, but it just feels, A, it's so peaceful and quiet, and I think very restorative from that perspective. But also, there's lots going on at the same time, which doesn't sound right but there's so much space that it can yeah absolutely we can have 5,000 people in one part of the site and it can be as quiet as a pin in another yeah bit. amazing amazing well thank you for your time it's been fascinating and uh, I hope to convey in some small way just everything that you've got going on here Cousins, the director of the Food Museum in Stowmarket, talking to Colin Lowe. And if you want to find out more about what's on offer there, do visit their website. It's at foodmuseum.org.uk. You can find out more about us at suffolkmoney.co.uk. And please do subscribe to the podcast on your chosen provider. And if you could give us a top rating, that would be fabulous and help others to find it and enjoy listening too. Thanks to the team who put things together. That's Sally, Kevin Birch and Joy Day. And thank you for listening. And from me, Leslie Dolphin, until the next time, bye.